Welcome to WADA, ADA Live Talk Radio, brought to you by Southeast ADA Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Good afternoon and welcome to WADA, ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to the 11th episode of ADA Live. The topic of today's show is post-secondary education for students with disabilities. In this episode, we will discuss what students with disabilities and their families need to know about access to higher education and the kinds of supports and services that are available to them when they enter college or university. ADA Live listening audience, you can submit your questions about inclusive higher education at any time on adalive.org. My name is Sally Weiss, and I am the Director of Knowledge Translation at the Southeast ADA Center. Our speaker today is Diana Katovich. Dee is the coordinator of the Peer-to-Peer Project and Assistant Director of the Lawrence B. Tayshoff Center for Inclusive Higher Education at Syracuse University. She has a Bachelor of Science from the Syracuse University School of Education and a Master of Science in Reading from SUNY Cortland. Dee also has a Certificate of Advanced Study in Disability Study from Syracuse University. Dee worked for 21 years as a special education in New York State public schools. Her interest in post-secondary education for students with intellectual and developmental disabilities resulted in her book, the Power to Spring Up, Post-Secondary Education Opportunities for Students with Significant Disabilities. Dee, we are delighted to have you with us today. Thank you for having me, Sally. Let me start by asking, what are the most important things for students with disabilities and their families to know about access in higher education? Well, first of all, you've hit it exactly right with the word access. Um, access is what's required under the ADA and Section 504 as regarding students with disabilities in higher education. Now, let me just clarify here, too. Um, I'm going to be using the term college to describe any institution of higher education. That means a four-year university, a two-year community college, or a technical college that, and where students earn either a, an associate's degree or a technical certificate. Um, I'll just use college to cover all of those um, institutions. Um, in special education in kindergarten K through 12, the real emphasis is on students with disabilities having success. When you move from 12th grade into college, the emphasis is on access. Um, it is anti-discrimination policies that colleges and universities need to pay attention to. Um, the other big difference is rather than um, the parents or special education teachers or school administrators. The student is the one who is in charge of their education. There are actually laws that protect a student's right to privacy, privacy over their grades, privacy over what sorts of accommodations they're getting or not getting. The student is the one who is in charge of approaching the Office of Disability Services, we call ODS, um, in order to get services 
in order to access their services, and they have um, control over their information. That's a, a really big change between um, K-12 education and higher education, and it takes a lot of families by surprise. Thank you, Dee. How can students with disabilities start preparing for college while they're still in high school? Probably the number one recommendation I would give is for students to, if they haven't already done so, begin attending their IEP meetings. Um, that is a great source for students to really hear about other people's, get other people's wisdom about the academic accommodations that they need to be successful um, in school. Um, they really need to know their disability, what the name of their disability is, how it affects them in the classroom and in the school environment, and the accommodations that they're going to need to be successful in higher education. Um, it's also a time when students can be really looking at their strengths and their interests. What are the things that they really want to do, and what do they need to be aware of? How is their disability going to impact that? Um, what sorts of accommodations are they going to need to be successful and show what they know about a particular topic? Um, and how will that later on translate into the workplace? Um, and if a student is, is intimidated by the thought of attending an IEP meeting, some students I know have been attending since they were in kindergarten or maybe even before, at least the student should sit down with a special education teacher, guidance counselor, or with their family, and really have that conversation. Um, who am I? What's the name of my disability? What are the names of my accommodation? And how do they help me? Um, that's the type of preparation that, that almost can't begin too soon. But if a student is going this year into their senior year of high school, it's also not too late um, to start having those conversations so that by the time they enter college, they really have a good idea of who they are and what they need to be successful. Our next question has two parts. Is a student's most recent IEP or Section 504 plan sufficient documentation to support the existence of a disability and the need for an academic adjustment? And if it is not, what can high school personnel do to help students get the documentation they need? Okay. Um, this is a mistake that I've heard from Office of Disability Services, ODS personnel, um, that families and students will frequently make. Um, the IEP, or Section 504 accommodation, um, 504 plan in high school, has an expiration date. And the expiration date on those documents is when the student graduates from high school. Now, this is not to say that the same accommodations couldn't still apply in college, but I have heard stories of students and their parents walking in holding a 504 plan or walking in holding an IEP and having the ODS staff say, I'm sorry, this isn't sufficient documentation for the accommodations that you're going to need, unless that document has attached recent documentation of recent evaluations. Some districts will, in their students' junior year of high school, will repeat academic testing that will indicate a need for academic accommodation or will have very valuable information about how accommodation or auxiliary aid 
help a student in school. It can be a very important helping document, but many colleges will not accept that as sufficient documentation. Um, so the second part of your question of what can high school personnel do to help the students get the documentation that they need, immediately go online to each school's website. Don't just go to one school website and assume documentation requirements are going to apply across the board. You need to go to a specific college where the student's going to be attending and search for ODS or search for even under students with disabilities or disability accommodation. And that will take you to a page. I've done this search many times um, for different college and for different college websites. And they should have listed there based on the student's um, disability, whether they have a learning disability or a visual impairment, deaf or hard of hearing, um, physical impairment which requires a student to use a wheelchair, what docu what documents are necessary to prove the need for uh, disability accommodation. Um, and colleges and universities are, are very upfront about that, of uh, the information that they will accept and how old that documentation can be. Generally speaking, they want to have documentation done no longer than three years before the student is applying and coming to campus. Thank you. And now we pause for a word from our sponsors. The Tashoff Center is committed to inclusive higher educational opportunities for students with disabilities, particularly students with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Partnered with Syracuse University, the Tashoff Center offers support, research, and training to individuals, families, and college campus communities looking for strategies to foster and support college students with disabilities. The center also provides information on students' rights in higher education, universal course design, disability-specific accommodations, and other disability resources. For more information, call 315-443-1288. Welcome back to the second part of our program. Our topic today is post-secondary education for students with disabilities. And we are talking with Dee Katovich from the Tayshoff Center at Syracuse University. Dee, can you tell us what kinds of supports and services are available to students with disabilities? There are a wide variety of supports and services available to students with disabilities on college campuses. Generally, the same, um, and I say generally, the same sorts of academic accommodations and adjustments that were present um, for the student when they were in high school. It's actually easier to tell what supports and services are not provided directly by the college. Um, some, support, some students, when they were in high school, students with disabilities while they were in high school, had one-to-one -one support staff or a personal care attendant who attended school with them. And those individuals sometimes were paid for directly by the school district. That's not true in college. If a student has a need for a one-to-one -one support person or for a personal care attendant to help them with their needs while they're on campus, um, the Office of Disability Services is not going to hire or pay that individual. However, they can put students in touch with local agencies that can help a student hire a personal care attendant or a one-to-one -one support staff. They also cannot provide academic accommodations that are going to fundamentally alter the requirements for a degree program. 
for example, some students with language-based learning disabilities may have been exempt in high school from a foreign language requirement. If a student is going on and wants to get an international um, diploma, international services or international relations, it may be required by that particular program for that student to study a language other than English and to exempt a student from that by allowing them to take a cultural class as opposed to a language class would fundamentally alter the requirements of that program and ODS is, is not going to provide that service and colleges are not going to provide that service. However, accommodations like note-taking, accommodations like um, priority registration for classes, um, extended time, um, information in alternative formats, whether that's Braille or whether that is a digital file where students can use screen reading software to read their required course information, their textbook, or information that a professor has posted. All of those things can be made available to a student, and environmental accommodations can be made as well. An accessible dorm room um, at Syracuse University, where obviously we have quite a bit of snow, one of the environmental accommodations is that students who use wheelchairs are given information about um, certain pathways on campus that are plowed first so that the student can travel from building to building or plan his or her travel. They're also given a number to call if an area of the campus they need to reach has not been plowed and they can call environmental support services and have that area clear of snow so that they can get to class. Um, there are really um, so many accommodations, and technology has, has made providing these accommodations really, really easy. It's also important to know, though, that colleges are required to provide access. That might not, that access might al not always be in students' preferred mode. When I was teaching back a few years ago, um, students who had tests read to them um, and had reading support, frequently were assigned a reader, a, a, a human reader, a teacher, a teacher assistant, who would read tests aloud to them. A lot of students preferred that. However, colleges will frequently use digital means to do the same thing. They'll scan a test or they'll scan a piece of information and a student will be able to listen to that information during the test. Um, student might not prefer it, but the college will say, but we provided access. So there is some negotiation of accommodations that will go on, and that sometimes is kind of a surprise to students and to their families when they come to campus. How do students request these aids or services? Okay, this is really very important. When students are applying to college and they know they're going to need academic adjustments, as soon as the student decides to enroll in a particular college, they should immediately contact the Office of Disability Services and register as a student with a disability. What will happen at that point is the student will be assigned a counselor, will be assigned a staff person to meet with them, to go over their documentation, to listen to their particular accommodation needs, and will Talk to the, we'll talk to the student about what those will be and how those will be arranged. The ODS 
staff person then will provide the student with a letter or with documentation from their office that they give to their professor on the first day of class. Um, the student's disability is not disclosed to the professor, but the professor is told the student needs extended time. The student needs copies of notes. The student needs um, information in an alternative format. Um, so the professor knows what his or her responsibilities are toward that student. And the ODS office can also help to negotiate that with students if they have a professor who um, is not familiar with academic accommodations and has questions. The office can also help to advocate for the student. And those people are assigned to the student and will follow that student throughout their academic career. Um, so it, it's very, very important for students to contact ODS as soon as they send the check to uh, confirm that they're going to be attending that particular college. It really is important to do that early. Don't wait until you arrive on campus to contact ODS. Another question we often get, how long do I have to wait to get my auxiliary aid or accommodation? It really depends on the particular aid or accommodation. Some of the accommodations, such as copies of notes, um, are, are so common. Um, they can be set up very, very quickly. Um, not to say you should wait until the day before the test to request that particular accommodation. Again, start early. Um, separate location for testing. Again, those are things that colleges are very used to providing. But many ODS offices are, have very few staff members. But some smaller colleges may only have one individual. And if there is an accommodation that takes a long time to set up, for example, if a student is blind or visually impaired and needs to have their textbooks provided in Braille, that's going to take a long time. Even a textbook in an alternative format that needs to be scanned so that the student can listen to the textbook um, over an MP3 player or something like that, um, that takes time. Yeah, somebody has to physically take the textbook apart and scan all of those pages. Sign language interpreters also will require um, time to set up. So uh, universities, colleges and universities will do the best they can. They know their requirements under the law. They know they have to provide these accommodations. But some accommodations that require time to set up may take a little while going to ODS and saying, hey, I need an interpreter for a lecture that I'm going to in 15 minutes. That's not going to be enough time. Um, students really need to make sure that they're on top of that. If they know they need an interpreter for a separate lecture, they need to call ODS or contact ODS as soon as they know about that requirement so those accommodations can be provided in a timely manner. A follow-up question is, what if these supports and services aren't enough for me to be successful? Mm, okay, and, and this is a really important question. And again, it goes back to the student now taking charge of his or her academic performance. Um, if a student is failing courses, if a student is being placed on academic probation, colleges are not required. Actually, they are forbidden to contact the student parents unless they have explicit written permission from the student to share that information with their families. Um, 
the student really needs to monitor. In a college class, you may only have three or four grades for a semester. If you take the first test and fail it, um, you really need to take a, a very honest look at what you're doing in the class. Meet with the professor. Go to the professor during office hours. Um, there, if you're really falling behind as far as understanding the information, colleges have tutoring centers that are available to all students, not just a student with disabilities. Um, they have writing centers that students can go to to get help in, in creating better term papers. Um, all of those options are available. A student may need to go beyond just what ODS is providing them. Um, take advantage of whatever sorts of supports are there on a college campus. Um, colleges are, are starting now in a lot of ways, Syracuse is, has done very well with this, to go beyond just the compliance of the law and may provide for an additional fee in many cases, additional support for students who have difficulty with time management or students who have difficulty socializing. Um, to provide that additional support, but students are really, I really have to take the maximum responsibility. If things are starting to fall apart, don't wait until midterm exams and say, oh, well, I'll just do better. Um, students really need to be very aware of their performance and in good communication with their professors about what they can do to improve. Thanks, Dee, for all this information. We will pause now for a word from our sponsors and be right back. The Southeast ADA Center is your leader in providing information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. The Southeast ADA Center, located in Atlanta, Georgia, is a member of the ADA National Network and serves eight states in the Southeast region. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. Welcome back to our broadcast on post-secondary education for students with disabilities. Dee, I know you have a particular interest in the newest group of students to access higher education. These are students with intellectual and developmental disabilities. What can you tell us about this trend and what are some of the newest developments? I'm really excited about this particular trend, Sally. Um, now, the reason for the trend for students with intellectual and developmental disabilities, IDD for short, um, to attend college is because we've done such a good job with including students with IDD in kindergarten through 12th grade. The students were coming to the end of their high school career, and in senior year of high school, students are asking each other, well, what are you doing next year? Where have you applied for college? Students with IDD were going to their teachers and were going to their families and saying, well, I want to do what my friends are doing. I want to do what my brothers and sisters have done, which is attend college. Um, now, accessibility in college it has you know, developed a long way. Obviously, we still have a, a ways to go. Um, but the thing with students with IDD is they didn't meet the otherwise qualified designation under ADA, um, which means that even with accommodations, they were not able to meet the entrance criteria for college, um, whether that was SAT or grades or their particular diploma that they would receive when they finished with um, 
with 12th grade. Um, so what colleges began to do um, frequently is the urging and sometimes under the guidance of families of individuals with IDD was create programs that were connected or actually part of a college um, specifically for students with IDD. And those programs took many forms. Some of the classes were specialized and taught just to the students, program participants with IDD. Um, but frequently students would also access other services and um, opportunities on campus, including starting to take part in typical undergraduate courses. Um, a lot of those programs still exist. I think the last count was something like 200 plus across the United States. What's gone What's the newest trend is something that the Tayshoff Center and Syracuse University is working very hard on, and we're also connecting with like-minded individuals across the United States, is looking more at the process of how would a non-traditionally enrolled student, um, say you or say me, who wanted to take a college course, maybe to audit the course, um, all the student would need to do would be to fill out whatever sort of registration form that students need to fill out, pay the course fee, get permission to audit the course that's usually gotten from the professor, and then participate as any other student would on a college campus. Well, if this is true for someone who is retired or someone who just wants to increase their personal information, um, if that was available to those students, well, why not to a student with IDD? Um, so what we're trying to do now through some of our initiatives and other colleges are starting to do too, is to make that process more clear and more transparent so that a student with IDD can go to the college of his or her choice. We're not just talking about community colleges, incidentally. This is also a possibility at four-year colleges. You just have to look at the infrastructure that already exists for non-traditionally enrolled students to take courses on a college campus and expand um, those options to students with IDD to communicate with, with families and with agencies and with individuals and show them how to do this. Um, and that's really very, very exciting because that's really the true inclusion that we're looking for in college. You're right, Dee. It's very exciting. We have just a few minutes left. I have one last question. What is the most important message you want our listening audience to know about post-secondary education for students with disabilities? Um, Increasingly, Sally, we're finding that engaging our minds past high school and even past college is very, very good for us, um, for all individuals, whether they have a disability currently or whether they don't. Um, lifelong education is essential for everyone because the world just changes so quickly. Um, the colleges also have a real investment these days in diversity. Um, diversity of race, diversity of gender, diversity of um, sexual orientation or sexual identity. Disability is another diversity element that colleges have not always been aware of, and yet they're very, very important. It's very important to look at 
how do we educate the most number of people and in the best way possible? And the accommodation that has been used and the technology that has been used historically for students with disabilities are also benefiting students who don't have disabilities. Um, students with disabilities need college, but colleges also need students and staff and faculty with disabilities because they bring with them um, a sense of innovation, um, ways that education will, will benefit the most number of people. And when we hear stories about students who have not had good experiences on college campuses with um, the accommodations or a welcoming culture or a welcoming atmosphere. I've been known to say, well, that college doesn't deserve any students with disabilities. Um, and they're missing out because everyone benefits. It's not just the students or staff or faculty with disabilities. Everybody benefits from that sense of innovation and accommodation that students and staff with disabilities bring to college campuses. Thank you, Dee. And thank you also to our ADA Live listening audience. The Southeast ADA Center is grateful for your support and participation in this series of WADA ADA Live broadcasts. Remember, you may submit questions about any of our ADA Live topics by going to adalive.org. A resource section is also available. If you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, please contact your regional ADA Center at one 800 949-4232. All calls are free and confidential. Please join us next month on September 3rd for our broadcast on web accessibility when we will be talking to, with Celestia Orozda of Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University and Marcia Swanke of the Southeast ADA Center. See you next month on WADA ADA Live. Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio, brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic, and you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.